0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Aleph Beta Quarantined. I'm your host, Emu Shalev. So while many of us are quarantined, rationing our dwindling toilet paper supplies, figuring out how to order groceries online, donning homemade masks to brave the stores, it can feel really like a war. But the truth is that there is a small percentage of our population that is truly fighting on the front lines of the battlefield, while all of us support them back at home. And they are our healthcare workers. When my producer Rivki Stern and I were discussing how we could use this podcast, we thought that in addition to using a tower lens to process this strange new time, we could use our podcast as a tool to build empathy, to pause the endless scroll of our news feeds, to connect to real people and hear real stories. And today, we want to bring you the stories of three healthcare workers that are in our very own Aleph Beta community. We start with a good friend of mine, Dr. Mike Ackerman, who is an anesthesiologist at a prominent hospital in New York City. Actually, when hunting for guests for this episode, my wife, a PA, recommended that I speak to Dr. Ackerman. Why would I speak to an anesthesiologist? Don't they just help put people to sleep for surgery? He doesn't work as an ER doctor or on any of the COVID floors. My wife balked at my medical ignorance and explained that anesthesiologists are on the front lines. They're the ones who are actually intubating patients. They're the ones who are making the decisions about who should get the ventilators and who shouldn't. As usual, my wife is right, and we did talk to Dr. Ackerman. So we're here with Dr. Mike Ackerman. Mike, tell us who you are.
1: Thanks, Neiman. Like you said, my name is Mike Ackerman. I'm an anesthesiologist in the city of New York and working here on the front lines amidst the COVID outbreak.
0: Tell us, in your experience, what has that been like? It's been, you know a few weeks of this crisis you're saying new york is one of the biggest hit cities how do you see that on the ground
1: we're seeing all elective surgery as one example normally anesthesiologists you know work within an operating room environment elective surgeries which are surgeries that people need to have at some point but not emergent have all been canceled so there are may still be some cases surgery cases going on but those are just ones that need to happen today and not tomorrow so that's a huge day to day Change that we've seen in just day-to-day operations, but Mm -hmm. then on top of that, the atmosphere in the hospital is definitely changed. There's more stress. We're doing our best to communicate uh, with the higher ups and of you know the community at large, but it's uh, ever-changing situation. So there's only so much information that we have at a given time, and what I have today could be different than tomorrow, or even sometimes more on an hour-to-hour basis. And so, in addition to the operating room changes, people's Day-to-day roles are changing as well, and the terms of redeployment uh, is a term that people are using a lot now, and people are asked to be doing things that they don't regularly do but are still qualified to do. Like what? For example, so anesthesiologists are generally considered critical care physicians, but we might not necessarily always be in a critical care unit, Uh, Mm -hmm. but now the day-to-day discussion has certainly changed where many of us will start assuming those other roles as the need in the operating room becomes less, and the need in an ICU setting becomes more.
0: Mm-hmm. And so what else has shifted? Have you seen an influx in patients, um, overload? What, what What's the caseload like?
1: So any one of the patients that requires that assistance in breathing, which requires the placement of breathing tube, myself and my department and the people on our team are the ones taking care of every single one of those that come through the hospital. Whereas mm-hmm. it used to be divided amongst different uh, specialties, it all comes through us as those with most experience. In terms of numbers, I mean, the numbers that are in the general media as in New York, we've surpassed multiple thousands of positive COVID patients. And we've seen in the entire hospital network that I work at, we're seeing hundreds of them that are positive. And in terms of the rate of growth, it has been exponential, where we've doubled. you like doubled every day? Let me clarify, it hasn't been doubled every day, that would be unsustainable. But there are days where it's doubled, but every day it increases. Mm -hmm. And the models we have to look at are what the other countries have seen so far, such as China and Italy. And at this point, we expect that we haven't seen the full scale of what we're anticipating.
0: I also spoke to Shani who is normally a nurse in a medical ICU at NYU in Manhattan where they've converted her entire floor into a COVID floor.
2: Literally every week I come into work it's a different unit I'd like to say and the stress levels are continuously increasing. You know it started first just you know with the talks you heard from China and you know people were a little bit cautious Then we, like, if you would hear that maybe there's, you know, every day you check the news and you'd say, okay, no no patients at NYU yet, thank God. And then it became, oh, we have patients. And now we just have so many patients. So you see everybody wearing the N95s and the face shields all around the unit. And um, how we reacted to them was a little bit differently. You know, (laughs) the first patients that were COVID on our unit, I would hold my breath as I turned the corner to pass those beds, thinking maybe that would make a difference, to now it's like, okay, this is part of our life now, and this is, it's just all around us, and I'm just hoping for the best for everybody. But all of my coworkers are extremely stressed out.
0: Many of us have seen the articles, the pleading on television, the posts on social media about how hospitals and medical professionals are running out of PPE, or personal protective equipment. So I asked Shawnee how her hospital is dealing with it.
2: So again, this is the same story with everything else that changed from week to week because we had infection control on our floor every single week. And I want to say the story changed every week. First, um, they said that the guidelines were that you wore that N95 mask um, with a face shield and that still holds true. But then we were told we can only use one a shift and then we throw Mm -hmm. it out in the morning or at the Mm -hmm. end of your shift. Now we're told to keep our supplies, even in between days, so that Mm -hmm. we can have it for the next day because the supplies are dwindling. They're Mm -hmm. holding a very tight control over it. And um, anyone that has to go into the room has to save their supplies. So even if um, the janitorial staff needs to come in to clean a room that just had a COVID patient, they have to go wherever they left their mask and supplies to go take their own because each floor has only their limited amount. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's kind of a very scary experience and that would be like something that any person can help out with if anybody ran to go buy those N95s on Amazon and they have any, Mm -hmm. it would really benefit hospitals to make a donation of their supplies to the hospitals because we're really in the rooms with the patients. You know, they're limiting who's going into the rooms. They don't really want all the doctors even in the rooms. Only the attendings and the nurses are going in the rooms. But we are out of supplies. They said that Wuhan, China, you know, made 80% of the N95s that were out there in the world, and now we're not really getting them from there. Mm -hmm. So if anybody has supplies, they should really send them to their hospital. I have a a neighbor who just said that she got ruled out for COVID, but when she was being tested, she ordered and found five. And because they tested negative, they're dropping off in my mailbox today, these five and 95, so I could bring them to work. And it seems silly and it's only five, but that's five more nurses that have access to being safer with their patients and with other patients that are not positive so that we don't you know, bring it to them or or nurses' families.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, I can see how being on the front lines and having dwindling supplies is probably really demoralizing and probably really moralizing for people who have these supplies to come in, show their support, and and get these supplies to the people who need it most. Like that's, for those of you listening at home, um, if you're not a medical professional, and this is a a really important way to help. Let me ask you, um, is there something people don't seem to know or understand that you'd like them to know about what it's like to treat COVID patients or your day to day?
2: That's a great question. Really the most important thing is really be to follow what everyone's saying is and to stay home. And even if you're feeling okay, symptoms don't present themselves for two weeks and in that two week period of time, you're still contagious to others they say 80% of people are not getting extremely sick from it, but there is that percent that is sick and those people are at risk and people are really dying and they need to know that. For us, it's really very, very stressful. And, you know, even my last shift I was on, I had two coworkers crying and like having anxiety attacks because they're really nervous one is they're super stressed at work but then they're nervous to bring anything home to their family and they're nervous for their own lives um, you know being so run down we really are putting our lives at risk if everyone could just stay home that would really help everyone that would reduce the rates that are coming out now and it would really help the medical staff that are putting their lives at risk going to work to take care of these patients. Stay home, stay safe, help us all out, be a team player.
0: You mentioned you know, the fear and anxiety, bringing this home. How are you dealing with that question about bringing this home to your family?
2: I mean, I'm doing the best that I can. I keep my mask and my shields on whenever I need. I was, you know, Purelling my legs even that if there's any spot of me that's exposed my neck, you know, when the mask only covers to the bottom of your chin, you know, we run into our bathrooms and we wash it off. We bring changes of clothing to work. I don't bring my shoes into my house and I just hope that I'm doing enough hand washing to keep my family safe. And like, that's all we could all hope for is that we're doing what we need to do and washing properly and taking all the precautions necessary to keep everyone safe around us.
0: I know we've heard some of this, the fear of running out of masks, but it's one thing to hear a report on the news and it's another to talk to someone, a real person with a real family who is trying to help sick people and just doesn't have the equipment they need to do so. I heard more about this from another healthcare superhero, Elisha Gross, who works as a nurse at a hospital on Long Island, New York. And she explained more about it.
3: Yes. Yeah, so in addition to our scrubs, we're now wearing gowns over them for the time being while we have them. Hopefully we're getting sent more. Um, and also we're wearing the N95, which is a thick, tight mask over our mouth to protect the N95s. They're giving us surgical masks to put on top of them. So that way we could preserve the N95s until they're like saturated, which could be weeks. Wow. Yeah. They're actually signing them out. Like we need good reason to take one and like need a new one pretty much. They give us paper bags to put them inside of at the end of our shift. That's what came out as the best way to preserve them. Mm -hmm. Then also like a face shield. So there's like a plastic thing in front of our eyes. So my managers had come up to check on me because I had floated and I had Mm -hmm. called her in the morning kind of just to let her know I'm on the COVID floor. I'm a little panicked. I have my three kids at home and she came to check Mm -hmm. on me and I was literally sopping wet. they were like cracking up because it was it was a (laughs) funny sight. Like the mask is dripping with sweat and I'm supposed to be like comforting my patients, but I look terrifying, (laughs) (laughs) which is always fun. But that's
0: that's the hardest part.
3: Honestly for me that's the hardest part being all gowns up and not being comfortable and knowing that my patients are scared seeing us that way like one of my patients on that floor from last Wednesday she was terrified and I all she could see was my eyes and I had to just look at her in the face and be like I'm here I know this is scary but like I'm here all the stuff kind of takes away that physical comfort interaction that you could give with these patients but I also know, obviously, that's the most important thing for us to have on. It's the only thing we could have on. It's, it's protecting. It's saving our lives.
0: <laughs> how, how do you deal with a situation like that? You mentioned that these people are coming. They can't come to the hospital with loved ones. They're there alone. And, and you're the only one who can really be there for them. And, and and seems like your eyes are the only thing that can be there for them. What are those interactions like? How are these patients handling it?
3: Um, it's a struggle. It's, um, And it. I just want to also say, this is not just the COVID patients. No one is allowed in the hospital. No one. No one is allowed a visitor. Honestly, one of my friends made a P- Facebook post from her unit last night that a patient had passed away with no family by her side, not a COVID patient, passed away just from another illness. And that was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking to hear that they're not passing by themselves because they have the nurses who are incredible. And I spoke to two of my friends that are in the ICUs and I asked them, I said, can I come down and sit with the patient during my break? And I'm not saying this to be like, oh my gosh, you're a superhero, because that's heartbreak. It's it gives me chills thinking that someone could be going through this alone. And even a gloved handhold, I would love to be that for someone during this time because it happens very quick so i don't think that patients have the time to process and you see it in their eyes it's it's terrifying for them it's and especially if they're watching the news they know what's going to happen to them they know what's coming they know what's next and it's it's heart wrenching
0: and it sounds like sounds like you and your colleagues are really the only ones who are there you're the ones who who can be there right. um can you tell us what that's been like
3: So my main experience working on a COVID floor is with my three patients that I had while I floated, because I have not been on my unit since it's been a COVID floor. I was there yesterday. Um, We had a lot of patients being ruled out, but it wasn't necessarily a official COVID floor. Um, Mm -hmm. At the start of my shift, I was told by the night nurse about one of my patients, how he said, just watch out for her. She doesn't look good she's coughing a lot she just she's not in good shape and she's in her 50s this woman and i walk into her room with the pca who was unbelievable a pca is like a like an assistant they help with all the not fun all not all the dirty things with us and we can't mm-hmm. do it without them and she was incredible we went into this room and this patient who is a, normally a self-patient which means walks herself bathes herself dresses herself everything herself is laying in bed and in filth because sorry guys, diarrhea has been one of the symptoms and these patients are coughing so frequently with such force that they kind of, their bowels just loosen. Mm -hmm. She's looking like, first of all, mortified. Second of all, scared. She has no family. That's the patient that I looked into her eyes and I said, I know I'm scary. I know this isn't where you want to be. But today I have you and you have me and we're going to get through this. And we gave her like a warm, hot bath, um, bed bath. We sat her up in a chair. The PCA pulled back her hair out of her face. And honestly, by the midday, she looked a thousand times better. She felt better. She said, and she really said this. And she said, like, it's God's grace that the nurses are here. That's what she said. We turned her day around. We turned her experience in the hospital around just by telling her that we're here for her. And we took the time to bathe her and to sit her up and to do her hair and to do things that her family would naturally do for her if she was sick with them. I left that night around 7.30 also, and she was a whole different person from the 12 hours before, which was just amazing to see. And I, I have a, good strong feeling that she was one of the patients that was able to be discharged. So.
0: I hope so too. What's ringing in my ear from, from what you just said is, you know, just this picture of nurses as, as God's grace. And there's something really powerful and beautiful about what you expressed, which is just something very mundane and regular about someone going through something that physically demanding and base and for just meeting someone where they are and restoring their dignity and caring for them. Right. Nurses are dealing with people who are, are strangers, but that doesn't, doesn't matter. Right. It's sort of, um, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> these are, these are people, you know, these are other creatures of God and, and for you to just reach out and take care of them in that way. There's something so moving about uh, what you just said. So thank you for sharing that and thank you for, for being who you are and thank you to all of your colleagues I just wanna stop the tape at this point to say that it was during this point in the conversation that it really hit me how little we get the experience of these nurses, of these patients. And it's unpleasant to be curious about it and unpleasant to hear about it because it's very scary. But as I listen to Elisheva, I can't help but be moved by her desperate desire to help other people, to be there for other people at a time when their own family can't be there for them. I mean, just knowing that someone like Elisheva is out there to, on this very human level, take care of others, that gives me such hope. Honestly, I could never do what she does every day. I don't know where she draws the strength from. So I asked her about it. Elisheva, the things you're telling me are are terrifying. How are you, keeping, you know, are you keeping your wits about you? How are you keeping your faith? What's going on for you?
3: Okay, so... Um, my anxiety is definitely peaked. I'm holding it in because this is what I have to do on my way home. I just really dive in that Hashem that God should give me like comfort and strength to walk into the door and clean my body of everything and know that I'm not gonna give my children and my husband anything. That's like my main concern. If you don't stay positive during this when you're in the hospital, you will just lose it. And I we don't have the time for that. Saturday night after I put the kids to bed and there was still like an hour left of Shabbos, all I did was go into bed and I didn't fall asleep. I just needed to be in the dark room and kind of like zone out and like prepare for my week ahead because we didn't know what was going to happen and we don't know what's going to happen on a daily basis. And I'm just asking God to help me because that's all I could do. That's it.
0: What you're saying <laughs> is, sounds unimaginable and you really sound like a hero to just zone in and and focus on what you need to focus on. What can those of us listening do? Um, How can we help you? How can we help your colleagues and healthcare workers um, not bear this burden alone?
3: So obviously do what everyone's telling you to do. Stay home, (laughs) do that kind of stuff. But if you want a lot of family members of the staff are sending cards, candy, fruit, They're sending stuff from restaurants just because that kind of brightens the day and like reminds you that there's a world outside. Um, If you hoarded any medical supplies and do not really need them, I beg you to give them to a hospital that's around you because we are so short with our supplies, and that's what's scary. Because people say, like, well, what if we don't have a mask and one of our patients is going in respiratory distress? I we cannot put ourselves at danger. If we're not wearing a mask, we cannot go into the room. Even a patient the other, yesterday, I heard the family member on the phone with her steel gloves and masks. And I'm like, are you serious? Like you're at home, just stay home. You don't need gloves and masks. Just stay home. We need all these things, but just send, send the nurses and the healthcare providers that you know love and just text them, say them that you're thinking of them, because that's what means the most to me. When I get home from a shift and one of my good friends sent me a text message like, how are you? I'm thinking of you. That made me happy. That made me smile. Like, okay, I could get through another day. I know people love me and support me. Chaim asked me this morning, I actually went on.
0: Just cutting in, in case it's not clear, Chaim is Elishaba's husband.
3: I was up at three in the morning. I went to National Grid to take temperatures of their workers before they went into the building. I'm just picking up extra shifts because they're, they're, they're needed. Um, And he said, what can I have for you when you get home? And like, that's just so comforting and so nice. And like, just support. That's all we need. Encouragement. Kind of like you see us, you know, what we're doing is hard and we're, we see you.
0: I can tell you that um, our entire audience is sending you their love. And we'll think about ways to, uh, to make sure that everybody can connect to to nurses, doctors, healthcare professionals in their neighborhoods and send them some love and share the love. So we're certainly feeling all of that. Um, and we definitely have tremendous amount of gratitude to you. And we'll we'll pray and uh and cheer you on. Elie Sheva, thank you so much for for taking the time to join me. Um, is there is there anything else you want to say to people?
3: I think I said everything. Just we gotta stay positive. I think that's also something is that we cannot let this overcome us and let this be us. And we need to stay positive for those that can't be positive and those that are sick and struggling. And we need to be a shining light because that's all, I know that sounds so cheesy and I'm not like a cheesy person like that, but really we are like, we just need positivity because it's really hard for myself and my coworkers to walk in every day, knowing that we could get this virus. We could be a patient and we're putting our lives on risk. So at risk. And if people could be our positive light for us and with us, that's just, that's what it is. Be kind to everyone. We all just need to be kind also, (laughs) that's it.
0: I asked this question to Shani too, because listening to these stories, hearing from these impressive healthcare providers who go out every day and put their lives on the line for us, it just makes you want to say, How can we help? Here's what I asked Shani. For those of us listening, you know, in the larger community, we want to be there for you and to raise you up so that you can be there for the people most in need as you raise them up. What's the best way we can support people like you?
2: I think just taking it seriously and really staying home. I know we are, everyone's on a lot of WhatsApp chats and um, are conversing about it, but to really understand and not be asking about barbers, you know, who who knows where I could get my hair cut? Like, that's not the priority. And the worst thing that, that this should impact is your hairstyle at the moment, but really understanding the severity of it all.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why we're choosing to speak to people like you, is that, you know, we're home and we're dealing with our present needs our home care, our haircuts. What's invisible to us is the fact that there's a war that you're fighting in hospital wards and in, in new IC units that are springing up. Um, and what we're trying to do is to connect our listeners to that experience so that they understand that everything they're doing is to support you. So hopefully we're, we're able to provide that emotional support, but I'm really grateful to you for giving us the knowledge of your experience, so we understand that our sacrifices are worth it, also. I know these are strange times we're living in. No, they're more than strange. They're downright scary. And if you're like me, you might be hooked to the news, reading different articles, trading WhatsApps with friends. It's like this riptide of new events and crises to navigate. Having the opportunity to prepare this episode took me out of all of that. I talked to human beings and heard their human stories. Stories like these change us. They help us build empathy, love, and community, instead of just facts, numbers, and news. A report about this and this hospital running out of masks became a story about Mike, a very real person, an anesthesiologist who feels like he is being redeployed in a battle against an unseen enemy. News articles about surges and pandemic peaks are brought down to earth when you hear the clarity and level-headedness of Shani, a nurse who is just trying to do her job, no matter what new obstacles are thrown her way, and despite the fact that her job changes every single day. And there's the human side of Elisheva, a nurse who is there for her patients, there for them physically, medically, emotionally, and spiritually. I'm left with awe reverence, and gratitude for these people. And I hope we can support them by staying home and recognizing that by giving up normal conveniences like haircuts and trips to the dry cleaners, in a strange way, we're actually helping these healthcare workers do their jobs better. And we can support them by expressing our gratitude. Every day when Mike, Shani, and Elisheva and others show up to work, they are acting with courage. They're literally risking their lives and they need the emotional and spiritual energy to be there for patients who are otherwise completely alone, without friends and family at their bedside. We can give that to them. To that end, in the description of this episode, we've included links for ways you can show support to those who need it most. Whether that means sending masks, ordering lunch for the staff, anything you can do, they'd be grateful. You can be in touch with Elisheva directly, and we included her contact information in the description of this episode. Thank you, and stay safe, everyone. As a reminder, Aleph Beta is offering free accounts, so if you're interested in doing some learning to prepare for Pesach, now is the time. The videos are perfect for kids and for adults, and you can check it all out at alephbeta.org. If you really enjoy the work that we do and you want to support this podcast, please consider becoming a member. You can also do that at alephbeta.org. We really, really appreciate your generosity and support. Thanks, and stay tuned.